Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are moving into chapter 15 tonight, and I pray that this scripture especially in tandem with the Daniel study, has truly touched us and challenged us and helped us to understand where God is heading and where we're heading uh, in these days on our earth's history. Uh, And I pray that this study is driving you and me to grapple more with Scripture. Uh, And if, if it drives us to the Bible, then we're doing something right as we study God's Word together. So tonight, chapter 15... Of course, as we gather for this study, the first line of your sheet there, we are studying a passage where the earth is immersed deeply in the great tribulation, the seven-year period of time, which is still in our future. During that seven years of the tribulation, nature is going to be in a great upheaval and in great shutdown. Uh, Kingdoms of the world are going to be in great turmoil. And the Antichrist will have appeared as the dominant world leader. And, of course, you know that the Antichrist houses Satan in his body. The beast, the Antichrist, leads the world away from God and away from forgiveness and away from grace. Just as Jesus, the Christ, is the embodiment of the Father, the Antichrist is the embodiment of Satan on this earth. Satan is the Antichrist's father. So the Antichrist initiates a worldwide finance system in which every person is required to be marked. It may be some electronic mark. It could be a tattoo, but it is some mark on the forehead or hand in order that people may buy and sell in this world finance system. There is nowhere in the world that you'll be able to go that you will not have to bear that mark in order to buy or sell. That includes real estate, that includes clothing, it includes food, the necessities of life. And I want you to remember that the Bible strictly forbids people of God to receive the mark of the beast. If you would like to write down this, um, this reference, we looked at it. It is Revelation 14, verses 9 and 10. And those verses say, And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. People of God are absolutely strictly forbidden to receive the mark of the beast. And those who refuse the mark of the beast will be greatly persecuted in these days of the tribulation. For those who refuse the mark, the people of God in particular who refuse the mark of the beast, they will be homeless, they will be naked, they will be living perhaps in starvation, extreme deprivation during the great tribulation. However, According to God's word, for those who refuse the mark of the beast, they may be living in persecution in the great tribulation. However, they will be greatly rewarded when they come to glory, when they come to heaven. Now, tonight, chapter 15 shows us people who are in reward in heaven. And it also shows us God's final preparation to pour out his worst, his most unbridled wrath 
against sin and against unrepentant sinners on earth. The great tribulation at this point is beginning to draw to a close. You can begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel in these moments of the great tribulation. But before the tribulation ends, God's undiluted anger is about to be released. So the worst of the punishment is yet to come. In fact, the Old Testament minor prophet Zephaniah prophesies the coming of this anger of God. It is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Those words say this by the minor prophet Zephaniah, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy." God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate sharing His holiness or His power with any earthly person or thing. God is rightly a jealous God, and He says, I'm going to right all of these wrongs. Now, chapter 15, as we begin this chapter, we see drawing very close the climax of the Great Tribulation. This is the shortest chapter of the book, by the way. Chapter 15 is the shortest chapter of Revelation. So we're going to read the entirety of it tonight. Hear these words from the disciple John as they were revealed to him, given to him by the Lord. Chapter 15, Revelation. John writes, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious 15th chapter of the great prophecy of the Revelation. John, the author of this book, is still an onlooker to the events of heaven. And so he says, I now see another sign given by God. So God allows him to look into heaven and he sees seven angels. Remember, the number seven is the number of perfection. So a perfect number of angels, seven angels with seven 
plagues. Now, those plagues represent the entirety of God's anger against humanity for those who have refused Him. So this is perfect, holy anger expressed by God to the world. After God pours out these seven expressions of His wrath, the great tribulation is going to be over. And that's on your sheet. Now, let me give you a little test. Do you remember back to chapter 5 in Revelation that God hands to Jesus Christ the Lamb the scroll of ownership of heaven and earth. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and he earned the right for that scroll of ownership that God gives to him. If you remember in chapter 5, it says that no man, no one could own or hold or handle that scroll except the Lamb, except the Son of God because of his death on the cross. That scroll, if you remember, was sealed with seven seals. Now, a scroll in that day, you unroll it, And you come to a seal, you unseal it, and you unroll it a little more, come to another seal. So the roll of the scroll reveals the seals as you go. With the opening of every seal of that scroll, a great tribulation or punishment is poured upon the earth. When the seventh seal is broken, when the last seal of the scroll is broken, it is so awesome, so holy, so mighty that there is silence, absolute silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Now, obviously, heaven is a place of joy, a place of praise, even a place that we might say noise. However, we know that the Lord God Almighty is so holy that when His holiness is revealed, it it makes a command, and the command was for silence. God is winding up and shutting down history here. So when seal number seven is opened, this is on your sheet, seven trumpets blow. And each one of those trumpets is an outpouring of God's judgment. When the seventh trumpet blows, which is in chapter 11, verse 15, loud voices in heaven proclaim that God is finally asserting that He is King of kings, that He is Lord of lords, that He alone is going to reign forever. And the last act of the seventh trumpet, of the seventh seal, is the, uh, of the opening of the scroll, is the outpouring of seven bowls or vials of wrath. So it's Seventh seal reveals seven trumpets. At the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet brings forth seven bowls or seven vials of wrath. And we see those bowls uh, in chapters 15 and 16. So Revelation is teaching us that everything God does is orderly. Everything that God does is going to be according to his perfect will. Everything is connected. Everything has purpose. And everything is progressing to this perfect day that he is going to bring about. And it's all on his timetable. Remember that the close of Daniel, what was the closing word of Daniel? It was, Daniel, go your way. You're going to rest. You will stand in resurrection. Bear your time. It's all going to be given in my time. So Daniel didn't know the timetable. We don't know the timetable, but God does. He has it all laid out. Now, in chapter 15, John sees these seven angels They have seven bowls or vials of plagues. And he also looks and he sees the floor, the foundation upon which the mighty throne of God is sitting. And John says, the best way I can describe the floor upon which God's throne sits, the floor under God's throne looks like a sea of glass that is mingled with fire. That's on your sheet. A sea of glass that is mingled with fire. Well, 
I've done additional study about what that means. What does a sea of glass mingle with fire? What does it symbolize? What does it mean? And every source I've consulted has a little bit of a different slant about what that means. So here's my interpretation as I've studied it and restudied it in these days. Let me back you up a little bit. Let's think back prior to the study about the sea that we see before we come to this one in chapter 15. There is a sea that is mentioned in Revelation. In previous sermons, we have established that that sea that we've studied earlier in Revelation deals not with water, but with people. If you would like to turn with me, look at Revelation 13, chapter 1. uh, Rather, chapter 13, verse 1. Revelation 13, verse 1 says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So John says he sees the Antichrist or the beast rising up out of the sea, and that sea is the sea of people of the world, all the people groups of the world, and from all the people of the world rise up one man, the Antichrist, the beast. That sea of the world's people carries sin, it carries the lost, it carries the wickedness of the nations, It carries sadness. It carries persecution. All of that sea remains rife with sin. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. That's the same sea of Revelation chapter 13. So at the end of the tribulation, as God's kingdom is established, sin and Satan are gone, and that sea of turmoil within humanity, all the wickedness, uh, all the sin, everything is now gone because God's perfect will has been established. Now, in chapter 15, what we're studying tonight, this is another sea, another kind of sea. The sea in chapter 15 is not water. It is not people, but rather it's a solid foundation. I believe that this sea of glass is the foundation of all of God's promises. In his word, this foundation is the foundation of God's promises. And you know there are enough promises that if you lived every promise in the word of God in our Bible, if you claimed one promise per day, you would not start over on the promises for about 20 years. There are that many promises that we can live by day by day in the Word of God. God is a promising God, and He never breaks a promise. Heaven itself sits on the rock-solid foundation, the flooring of God's promise of life to everyone who comes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you to notice that the great tribulation saints are standing on that floor. These are some of the most persecuted human beings of all time. And yet when they get to heaven, they stand on the foundation and on the promise of God that when they got to heaven, they would be rewarded. They're standing on the flooring of God's promise. Now notice that the flooring is mingled with fire. What connects God's promise of life to you and me? The Holy Spirit which is defined as fire in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit living in us brings forth those promises of God as we entrust our life to our Lord through Jesus Christ. So God's Word and God's Spirit are the foundation of heaven. 
the foundation upon which we will stand for all eternity because God does not break a promise to his children. So all the tribulation saints, depending on the translation you're reading, are standing on or by that great sea. Notice that they have harps. That's a word on your sheet. They have harps of God, and they are singing in combination two songs. They are singing the song of Moses, and they're singing the song of the Lamb. Now, that's interesting that there's a combination of these two songs, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is in Exodus chapter 15. It is the song that the Israelites sang when they were redeemed by God and delivered out of Egypt through the passage of the Red Sea. Now listen, the song of Moses is the first song of the Bible. There are many songs in the Bible, but the song of Moses is the first song of the Bible, and it is the song of redemption. The second song mentioned in Revelation 15 is the song of the Lamb, and that is a song of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of heaven. He is the Lamb of our salvation. He is the one who was sacrificed for our sin. This is the last song of the Bible, and it is also a song of redemption, a song about the Redeemer. So the song of Moses was sung when God brought his people out of Egypt, And the song of the Lamb is sung when God brings his people in to heaven, out of Egypt, in to heaven. The first song and the last song. God's word is amazing, isn't it? As we see how it ties God's truth together. Now in verse 5, chapter 15, John looks and he sees heavenly, he sees the heavenly holy of holies on your sheet, the heavenly holy of holies opened. And when the holy of holies of God is opened, seven angels come out. They're dressed in dazzling linen. They have a golden band around their chest. And one of the four living creatures that surrounds the throne of God distributes one golden bowl or vial to every one of these seven angels. So the seven angels that are dressed in this dazzling apparel have the last seven bowls of God's wrath. When these bowls are finally poured out, God's tribulation is going to be done. Now, as these angels hold the bowls, the temple of heaven is filled with smoke for the glory as well as the wrath of God. The worst is coming to the earth. This is an awesome sight. It is so indescribable that, God, that John just uses an economy of words. He could probably write book after book of what he sees of the glory of God and the smoke of God in heaven, and yet he just simply puts it in a very few words because it's very difficult to describe the scene, so he uses a few words to describe a very indescribable thing. Now look at the last words of Revelation chapter 15, verse 8. No one could enter. No one could enter that heavenly holy of holies. Why is it in Revelation that God's holy of holies is off limits to every heavenly citizen until the angels were finished pouring out their bowls of wrath? The seven angels had these bowls. They had to be poured out. The anger had to be released. The tribulation has to be over. God denies access for for any heavenly creature to go into the holy of holies. Why is that? Here's why. Do you remember in Jewish history, I'm sure you do, That once a year, 
The high priest alone could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And that one high priest, the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, in fact, he was so secure in that he would be the only one going in that they literally tied a rope to his ankle so that if he had a a health problem or a heart attack or whatever, no one could go in to get him. They tied a rope on him so they could pull him out. No one could go into the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And he went into the Holy of Holies once a year for the Jewish nation to intercede for the sin of all the people of Israel. One man interceding for all the sin of the Jewish nation. Now, I want you to get your mind on the fact that one human being intercedes for many human beings in the nation of Israel before God. But in Revelation 15... The Holy of Holies is closed, and no one can go in. No man, in verse 8 it says, can enter. It's because God has reached the final divine decision to pour His wrath out on sin and Satan and hard-hearted sinners, and no one was going to be able to stop it. No one was going to be able to make intercession at this point. The opportunity for intercession is over. No one is going to enter the Holy of Holies because the time for intercession is done. It's over. It's past. Nothing is going to stop God's wrath from being poured out now. The temple is empty. There is no priest there. And God alone is going to judge the world. And no man is going to be able to stop that. Now, again, we see in God's Word this full warning that you and I must come to the Lord by his redemption through Jesus Christ. And also, we are called by God's word to be witnesses of that redemption in this world, witnesses of salvation, because the time is going to come for this lost world when the door is going to be shut and the opportunity is going to be over and the invitation is going to cease. And God is not going to allow, allow intercession anymore. God is going to judge and no one in heaven or earth is going to be able to stop it. That's on your sheet. No one, heaven or earth, is going to be able to stop it when God says it is time to completely issue judgment. Here is the bare, unvarnished truth. When an unsaved person dies on this earth, dies an earthly death, not even the love of Jesus Christ will be able to intercede in their judgment. When a lost person passes away, shuts their eyes in earthly death, that pathway to hell is sealed. And not even the love of Jesus will be able to turn that around. That's how serious God is about his judgment. He is a loving God. He is a long-suffering God. He is described in the Bible as a patient God, a waiting God. But he is finally going to say, the open door is now shut. The opportunity is now closed. You missed your chance, and there is no one who can turn it around for you now. I gave you every chance over and over, and you turned me down, and you turned me away, so depart from me. The opportunity for salvation is now over, and hell is where you will be for all eternity. You know, I shudder to think of those last words of God to any person. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God does not desire that not one person be lost to hell, not one. 
But it's a personal decision, and it's a person's decision alone. Their spouse, their mama, their daddy, their friend, their child, no one can make a decision for one person. That one person has to make a decision, him or herself. No one can fix this but Jesus, and he wants to. But we must make that decision for him. You know, two little granddaughters were looking at their aging grandmother sitting in a rocking chair, and she was reading her Bible, and one little girl said, why does, why does grandma read her Bible so much? And the other little girl said, I think she's cramming for her finals. <laughs> Most of us want to think that the world has plenty of time. And a lot of people in this lost world, lost themselves, think, I have plenty of time to get to know God in a deeper way. I'll just wait a little longer, go to church another day, take care of the business of my life, and when I get old, I'll have time to cram for my finals. I'll have time to make it right. But so many who wait until a better day to accept Jesus wait too long, wait too long to make it right. And this is the Bible's warning. Don't put that day off to make it right with Jesus as your Savior because the lost can wait one day too long and the earthly curtain is going to be pulled suddenly and no one not even Jesus himself will be able to turn the tide of hell that's what the Bible says one second after a lost person closes his or her eyes they will know that hell is coming one second after a saved person closes his or her eyes in death knows that heaven is coming it is sealed for all eternity so right here right now Jesus, first of all, assures the saints, you have heaven coming. One day you're going to stand on this great foundation of my promises for all eternity. My promise of life, my promise of joy, my promise of no more tears, my promise of no more sickness, my promise of no more death. All of those promises are going to be fulfilled and you're going to stand on that sure foundation of my promises for all eternity. Because you invited Jesus, you invited my very son, the Spirit of God, to live in you. So tonight, for we who are saved, this is a book of assurance. For those who are lost, this is a book of warning. This is the time to make it right with the Lord God through his son, Jesus Christ. And friends, tonight, you know as well as I that there are so many in this world right outside of these doors who need this good news. And every ministry that we have and every minute that we live, we are to be pointing to that one open door of Jesus Christ. We are to be leading family and friends and co-workers and co-students to that door. Tonight, as a church, we are to make a commitment that we're going to reach the lost because this is a dire, fearful warning to the lost. And we are to reach them with the love of Christ. That is our job description. That is our calling. And we must take it very seriously as a church. A good study as we think about what God directs us to as his body of Christ through Revelation 15. Let's pray together. Our Father, tonight, we realize, Lord, that your word is so very plain. Thank you, Father, that you are truthful with us that you tell us that you will move heaven and earth to see a person saved. How our minds cannot even begin to grasp the truth that God through his very son, Jesus Christ, God himself laid down his life 
so every person would not have to die. And it comes to the simple decision, like the Philippian jailer, to just accept Jesus as Savior. Tonight, Father, every person in this world needs to hear this good news. And every person in this world needs to be given that opportunity to make a decision. No one can make it for them. We, as a church, can't save anybody, but we're to lead everybody to that Savior who can. Bless us, Lord. We who are engaged in this study tonight, bless us with a renewed passion to reach the lost, to tell someone about the Savior who loves them. There's someone in our life who needs this good news tonight. Father, I'm sure that every one of us can name one name of someone who needs Jesus as Savior. Send us out. Give us that passion. Help us to remember, Lord, that if that person should close his or her eyes in earthly death, eternity is sealed and there's no U-turn and there's no intercession, but rather the lost will be lost for eternity. I pray tonight, Lord, give us a passion for people who need you. We love you, we thank you, and I pray that you will further revive us to reach the world who needs Jesus. Thank you for your good word to us, Lord, and it's through Jesus Christ we pray, amen.